All right, so we're going to get into God's Word together in Psalm 71. And let me tell you where we're at, where, where this series came from. It's called Psalms, Songs for Every Season. The idea of the seasons, as you can see, the decor and the, you know, is, is there are seasons of faith. Summer, right? Life is good. God is good. Fall, things are changing. People are being difficult. Winter, life is terrible and I feel like I'm going to die. Uh, and, then, and then spring, God comes through and something great happens. Not only will you cycle through this in your life time and time again, the whole book of Psalms seems to, you know, there are exceptions, but it seems to cycle through this itself. It takes you on this journey of God is really amazing, and then things are going wrong, and then things are terrible, and everyone's going to die, and then God's amazing again. In this psalm, what I love is this Psalm 71 captures the whole of that. Uh, It's called Prayer of a Lifetime, and the psalm welcomes us to trust God to be faithful for our entire lives. The psalmist writes from a position of trouble, and he's later in life, and some were seeing this guy's problems and saying, well, God is punishing him. Look, God isn't for him. Look, he thought he was really on God's good side, but look at the problems that this old guy has right now. And the psalmist, we don't know who it is, wrote this song to commemorate that he knew God was with him, and even though he was older, And today, we are afraid and dismayed by age. We don't like to get older. Christians, we can embrace the beginning and the middle and the end of life because we know God will never forsake us. So we're going to pray, and then we'll get into this psalm together and learn about how this person expressed a prayer of a lifetime. Father, we thank you for this psalm. And we know that all of our lives, you are going to take us through seasons where life is good and then life is hard, and then you show up, and then it feels like you're missing And wherever we are right now, help this psalm written by an older man who looks back over his life to reassure us that you are with us. And I pray that you would use this, O Lord, to reassure us that whatever we're going through right now, we do not have to be afraid. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in Psalm 71, verse 1, it says this, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness... Deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. You can see that there's a lot going on. He is afraid and he is crying out. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Meaning this problem isn't going away anytime soon. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked." From the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. The first thing you can jot down is this. Trust God to be faithful now. Trust God to be faithful now. He is expressing trust now. He's in trouble now. He's crying out now and he's confident. There are despairing psalms where he's like, nobody's here and God's not going to come through. This is actually a very faithful psalm. Trust God to be faithful now. He looks back and prays that God's faithfulness will be on display from the cradle to the grave. And we'll see that this psalm cycles through a series of if-thens. If-then. If you, God, then I will. And then if you, then I will. So it's a prayer. I want God to do this, then I will praise him and do that. I want God to do this, then my enemies will see that if then. So it is a prayer. It is a prayer. And what is he asking for 
Well, he's asking God to do again what he has done throughout his whole life. He's asking him to rescue him. Jot this down. Ask God to shelter you in the storm. To shelter you in the storm. It says here, be to me a rock of refuge, a fortress. A refuge is a place that you go when you're in danger. Uh, A shelter is a place you go when there's a storm. So this could symbolize many different dangerous things that could happen to you, right? This psalm, he's not afraid of the weather, right? But the idea here is that there is a storm. You're in danger. You're in distress. God is the place where you run for shelter. He is your fortress. And so this shows us that we can cry out to him when we are in danger, when we are in distress, when we feel like suddenly there's a storm all around us, we can run to him. And anything can prompt you to cry out to God. Whatever makes you feel like you're in danger or in distress, whatever you see on the horizon that could, that could hurt you, it could be a problem, a health problem, it could be loved ones who are struggling relationally. It could be you need a job. It, whatever it is, there's, there's swirling wind and it's cold and it, it's dangerous to go outside. Here's a Here's a video a woman took when she was just out driving with her husband somewhere, and check out what stopped them from their travels. Not for safety reasons, still on Highway 66, heading east. It is about to cross 66. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. There is a cool little antique yard right here. I'd put it in reverse there and floor goes. it, right? Look at that. Stunning. Yeah. See, when that comes down in your life, whatever it is, it's time to run to the shelter, right? Right. I need help. I'm in danger or distress. And trust God to be faithful now. Ask him to shelter you in the storm. So what is it right now that's prompting you to freak out? What is it that's prompting you to freak out? That's your opportunity, your invitation to actually cry out to God. That's what this psalmist is doing, right? He's, he's crying, oh Lord, In you do I take refuge. He's running into the presence of the Lord and he's crying out. Is that what you're doing? Or are you running in circles freaking out? Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Now we know exactly what this psalmist is actually struggling with. It's people. So jot this down. Ask him to defend you in conflict. Ask him to defend you in conflict. He says here that he says, let me never be put to shame. Be my rock of refuge. Rescue me, verse 4, O oh my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. So there's somebody who is putting this man in danger. Uh, we don't know the story. Maybe he did fall on hard times, and then someone's trying to capitalize on that to make it worse. Maybe this person is, is the one who just is the problem, right? This person is the whole drama or a group of people. But relational conflict is one of the hardest trials that we can go through when and and the closer we are to the person or the closer we were to the person the harder the struggle becomes whether it's family or friends or neighbors the proximity means we can't get out of the strain and that's why it's so exhausting that's why you can't sleep that's why you wake up with a stomach ache that's why your mind is racing because there's conflict and you can't resolve it and it's especially hard when there's a person who has no desire to fight fair or to be respectable or distinguished or righteous or up there you are trying to stay on the good path and they just want to destroy you well that's what this psalmist was dealing with 
So ask him to defend you in conflict. Difficult people will test your faith. And he says, rescue me, rescue me. Meaning this person actually has the ability to truly do them harm. When I, when I hear the word rescue, I think of Hurricane Harvey. We sent a team down there, check it out. When we saw the pictures of what was going on, we said, we've, we've got to send a team down there. They need help. So this, that day, we rallied a team of men, and they went down there to help out. And they, they just helped in a variety of ways. But there were people in other churches that we're connected to who literally rescued people. They pulled up the boat and got these people out of their houses. But it was a disaster, and these people need to be rescued. Here's another picture. It's kind of funny uh, because it shows a woman being rescued, right? Get on. And I like this because it shows the humbling nature of needing help. It shows the, you know, I, I can picture this woman a couple days before, if this guy had knocked on her door and been like, want a ride? Hop on. She'd be like, get out of here, creep. But when she needs to be rescued, she's like, yes, I will take a piggyback ride out of here. Thank you very much. The idea that you're calling out to be rescued is really humbling, if not humiliating. God, pick me up and carry me out of this. Uh, I can't do this. You have to humble yourself, and you have to humble yourself, especially when it's a people problem and you just want it to go away. Who is it right now that's making your life hard? Who is it right now they've said something or they've done something and there's injury or, or they won't say something or they won't do something and, and and you need God to help out. Are you talking to God? Are you trusting Him? Trust God to be faithful right now. Now, this problem that this guy's facing is, is just in the foreground, but then he starts to expand out his faith, and it becomes so much bigger and more beautiful. He starts looking back and thinking about his whole life with God. At the very time, he could be doubting God's goodness, right? He's looking back, and he's actually singing about God's goodness. He says in verse 5, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Wow. Jot this down. Trust God to be faithful now because he was faithful when you were born. He was faithful when you were born. Gratitude to God begins by recognizing that it was God who brought you into this world and gave you life. He, therefore, is credited with everything that's good in your life. He is your creator. When were you born? When were you born? I'm uh, not young anymore, but I wouldn't say I'm old. I'm middle, right? I'm middle in my 40s. But when I think back to when I was born, it feels like forever ago. Do you want to see a picture of baby Ryan? Yeah. Here's a picture of baby Ryan. And, uh, oh, look at those chubby arms. That's my grandma Vera holding me, and uh, she went on to be in glory several years ago, but uh, that's me, and I couldn't do much when I was born. I remember, though, that uh, my mom tells me the story every Mother's Day, right? She'll, like, give me the play-by-play. -play. This is when I went into labor. Uh, they actually had to do a C-section. She never lets me forget that, because when she went in, I was breech, that, you know, that, that means I wasn't, I was, I was sitting up. I was supposed to be flipped, but I was breech. And I was also sitting Indian style, right? Like, I'm not coming out. <laughs> You're not getting me out of here. And so she, re she reminds me that she gave me life and talks. She craved avocado when she had me. I know the whole story. But um, this psalmist is saying, God did that for me. He gave me life. 
And uh, yes, he used your mother to do it, but God ultimately is credited in Scripture with bringing you into this world. That should spark a renewal of your gratitude and trust in him. Jot this down, he created you. He created you. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. Before my birth. And listen to this description. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Do you realize what is being described here? It's like God is the doctor who took me from my mother's womb. The psalmist credits God with getting him into this life successfully. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful description of God giving us life and bringing us into this world. And it merits praise and trust. He created you. He created you. I'm sure you've all heard of where babies come from by now. Has anyone not heard of where babies come from? Do I need to cover that? No? Okay, we're good. Babies come through a natural process, but we're also spiritual beings. So getting the body assembled isn't the whole thing. There has to be a soul. There's a person. There's a being, and God does that. God breathes life into us in the womb. There's also very compelling descriptions in the Bible of God selectively creating you. And it says in Psalm 139, 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, There is divine activity, not just in the genetics of it, but God was supernaturally overseeing the design and build of you. He was making you. Beyond the body, there's a soul and there's a purpose to reflect God's image so that we could know him and enjoy him forever. Hey, I was designed and built by God for a glorious purpose. And that should make me trust him. That's what the psalmist is saying. He created you. Jot this down. He knew you. He knew you. When you look into the biology, when you look into how a life is formed, it just seems like a miracle that any one of us is actually here. When you think about all of the chemical variances that are possible and all of the human whims that are possible, stretching back from generation to generation, getting you here is like shooting a bullseye through four swinging rings and it's impossible. How did any of us get here, right? But it was God who ultimately was bringing you into this world. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah was even made, before his parents were were ever like, let's have a baby, God knew him. And that shows that you are not just this chance chemical concoction that somehow genetically worked out in your favor. God knew you before you were even conceived. There is a divine hand upon your life. He knew you. You're not a stranger to God. He's familiar with all of your ways. He made you. Jot this down. He numbered your days. He numbered your days. Your entire life was ordained by an almighty God. In Psalm 139.16, it says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body. God doesn't need an He doesn't need any machinery or technology, an ultrasound. He saw you. 
And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God sovereignly numbered your days. This doesn't in any way eliminate your ability to make decisions, right? God doesn't have to remove your freedom of choice to establish his plan. He is smart and strong enough to account for your every whim along with the choices of those around you. And, and yet, above all of that, we can rest knowing that God alone decides when we enter this life and when we leave it. God alone decides that. Wow! Trust God right now. Why? He was faithful when you were born. He created you. He knew you. He numbered your days. Trust Him. Trust Him. The psalmist also says, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. So jot this down. Because he was faithful when you were young. Trust God to be faithful now because he was faithful when you were young. The word for youth here includes childhood through young adulthood. So youth could be child. Youth could also be someone who's married, like from, my, from the youth of my adulthood when, when I just got married, right? But it's the early days of life. It's those days that formative decisions are made when we're young. Most people are saved before they are 18 years old. They settle on their life direction. Often marital partners are selected earlier in life, though that's happening later and later now. When I look back upon my life, I see how God was faithful when I was young in so many ways. He saved me. He brought a wonderful spouse along, and we got married, called me into ministry. I had to get school. He brought funds and money for me to start seminary and get a Bible education. This is all in the younger years of life. And Lauren and I just celebrated our 21st wedding anniversary a couple days ago. 21. How about that? Our marriage is all grown up. 21. It can't rent a car yet. That's not until 25. But our marriage is 21 years old. Check it out. Here's a picture uh, from when we were younger. We got married. Isn't she stunning? And uh, I could tell you the whole story. It would take hours. But, you know, Lauren and I were both on just separate life tracks. And, and we were on separate spiritual tracks, too. And it, it, when we looked back yet, last year at our 20th anniversary, we read through all the old journals and everything. And we actually remembered with old wise and older wise and, you know, ears now how God actually did it. And we both were like, wow, it really is of the Lord that we met and that we started dating and that we kept dating. Uh, wow, it was of the Lord. And God was faithful when we were young. And we have the whole story to, to talk about it. These are formative decisions. God was faithful when you were young. Jot this down. He, he taught you. He taught you. So if you look at verse 17, it says, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So you taught me. God was involved when you were young. He, and he taught about what? Of all of his mighty deeds. We learn from God in several ways. We learn from what's called general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
When you were young and creation was out, you, you learned there is a God. He's intelligent. He's wise. He creates beauty. All the animals that are made, God did that. And creation told you there is a God, even if you were not raised in a Christian home. God taught you through general revelation. He also uses government uh, to order your world around you. God established government, and all of it is under his authority. God used that. He taught you about morality, the moral codes of your day, right and wrong, the authority figures. God set up the world around you. The Bible in the book of Acts says God stretches out all the nations and all the peoples and gives them boundaries that they might reach out and find him. God taught you. Nature in particular is a powerful way to learn there is something bigger, something higher, something beautiful that designed and engineered this world. So we were up at Silver Birch Ranch for family camp, and you're just immersed in nature. There's so many amazing ways to just encounter God up there. I've got a few pictures that I can show from our time up there at Silver Birch. Uh, but you're just out on a horseback ride and through the forest, and you're like, this is amazing. So God made this being that I'm riding on and all the, all the beautiful trees around me. And here's the next picture. And uh, there's Pastor Mark and Jude, and they're about to go out on a paddleboard just out on the lake, and God made that, and it's just beautiful and wonderful to be out on the water and to hear the birds, and here's the next picture, uh, and uh, there's a little frog, and they have a frog racing contest, and so um, they, they all find a frog, they bring it into the circle, and then they try and get their frog to get out of the circle fastest, and then they win a prize. This is fun, and look at that critter God made. It's so ugly and yet fun, and yeah, and here's the next picture. Um, and, you know, you can have a lot of Jared and Pastor Thomas out on the lake flying through the air. <laughs> There's just so much fun in nature, and, and God is teaching us about his creativity, his provision. The fact that earth can even sustain life uh, shows us compared to what's going on in space, right? Have you seen that uh, Sir Richard Branson is going to space? Are you tracking that? Like right now, he's getting in a rocket and going to space. Like the first, he's opening up space so that we can all go there. Well, why couldn't we go there before? Because we would die up there. You leave earth, you don't live. So easy to take for granted that God made this world to be life-sustaining. He taught you. Jot this down. He helped you in great ways. So we're actually going to read some more verses here. It says in verse 7, I have been as important to many. What that means is he has now become, in the eyes of some, a, um, a curse, right? Many are despising him now. I've, I've become a curse to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O oh God, be not far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Listen. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. So God's reputation is also on the line here. 
right? These people are like, yeah, God's not going to save him. Look, he's being crushed. Let's get him. And he's like, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to show you God did awesome things again. He helped you in great ways. His deeds were beyond number. So the idea in this psalm is God has done great things again and again for this man, and he's trusting that it will happen once more. He helped you in great ways. God is at work in the person of faith. You probably have stories, if you have walked with God, of him taking you through trials, walking you through dark times, showing up and providing for you. You have God at work stories. You're not wondering where God's been all your life because you know. There are some who don't know this. They've either led a life of godlessness and worldly indulgence, and while they would say, oh yeah, probably I'm going to have, I'm religious, whatever, they don't have any evidence in their life that God is with them or for them. In fact, they've disgraced God and they've walked away from him. There are other people who are flat out honestly agnostic or atheist, and they would say, I don't even believe there's a God, or I don't have any interest in knowing him. What's interesting is when you talk to apologists who deal with doubters and agnostics all day, and they have question and answer sessions at some of the universities, uh, the apologist will tell you that one of the best ways to get an open door in the heart of a skeptic is they'll ask this question. They'll say, is there anything in your life that has ever made you wonder whether there is truly a God or not? Without fail, the person will stop and say, yes, because they can't answer it no. God has found some way to persuade even that person that there could be a God. Something happened to show them that God is real and that he's there. Something they can't explain or understand. God helped us. He manifested his presence in great ways. So, number one, trust God to be faithful now. Ask him to shelter you in the storm. Ask him to defend you in conflict. Number two, because he was faithful when you were born, he created you, he knew you, he numbered your days. Number three, because he was faithful when you were young, he taught you, he helped you in great ways. And number four, jot this down, because he will be faithful when you are old. Because he will be faithful when you are old. It says here in verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent So he's writing from this posture. He knows that he's older. I'll let you define what older is. His strength is spent. But this is a senior saint. This is an elderly person. He doesn't have the power to try and muscle up and fix this himself. He doesn't have the, he just, he knows that he's vulnerable. And I love that the Bible speaks to this. I love that the Bible raises this voice, this song from this man Verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O God, make haste to help me. He's still crying out for help even when he's old. No shame. How many of you enjoyed uh, music by the Beatles when you were younger? Raise your hand if you enjoyed music by the Beatles when you were younger. You know the song, Help, right? Help! When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. Now these days are gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now these days are gone. And I find now, I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can. I'm feeling down. I do appreciate you being around. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me, help me, help me. Ooh. 
Essentially, this is Psalm 71. Help! I need you, God. Help! I really, really need you. Help! This is a song, remember, that they all sang. The whole community sang this, and it's the Beatles' help. That the Beatles stole it from Psalm 71 is my whole point. <laughs> help! And when you get older, you don't really want to ask for help. You feel like you should be okay. I don't want to bother people. I certainly don't want to bother God. He's already done so much for me. Help! Help! That's what this psalm appropriates. Yes, I'm a father of three teenage children. They have a lot of needs. Most of them are financial. Multiple times through the day, they will come and present those needs to me, and they will ask for money. Most of the time, I will say yes. Some of the time, I will say no. It's just the way parenting works. And God is never going to be like, you again? You're still needy? Never feel like you've somehow aged out of God's plan to provide for you. He will be faithful when you are old. And don't resent being in that life stage. Don't get caught in the trap of feeling like somehow you've actually been excluded from the good life because of your age. That is so far from what the Bible describes and what is actually true. I like what Robert Browning said in one of his poems. We'll put it up on the screen. He says, grow old along with me. The best is yet to be. The last of life for which the first was made. Our times are in his hand, who saith, a whole I planned. Youth shows but half. Trust God, see all, nor be afraid. He's commemorating it. He's anticipating it. He's glorifying it. Old age. There are such sweet memories that I have from people in our church who have gone on to be with the Lord. People who lived long, full lives through some of the hardest times in our country and in our world. And some of those final meetings I've had with people from our church where I know that this might be the last or second to the last time I get to pray with them and minister to them have been amazing. One woman told her small group leader, as she knew her days were drawing near, that she went out shopping. And he said, shopping for what? She said, to buy a dress. I have a date. And she wanted to wear that dress in the hospital because she knew she was going to be with Jesus. It's amazing. She had no fear. She was looking forward to the glorious reunion with her Savior. And this psalmist is crying out for God to prove faithful to the very end. Verse 17, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, I've got some of those. It's the kids <laughs> and the dogs. <clears throat> so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. I love that eye on legacy. I love that he's thinking beyond his own life. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. He's not, he's not rethinking who God is. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. He's not rethinking what God has done. Who God is, what God has done, check, check, no doubt. 
Verse 20, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. And you will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. My tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. God will be faithful when you are old. Jot this down. He walked you through many troubles and calamities. He walked you through many troubles and calamities. God has done great things, but the psalmist is honest. You have walked me, right? Verse 20, many troubles and calamities. This is the road of faith. You must understand there will be hardship. Many people leave the road at that point. Well, if God's going to bring this into my life, we're through. And then many years later, they look back and they realize they squandered the opportunity to persevere with God through those hard times. God will, from childhood, youth, he will bring trials into your life to show you his glory. Here's a picture of my daughter, Ellie. She got into a fender bender, and uh, she's 19 years old. She's okay. Everyone's okay. The car is not okay. So we're trying to figure out what to do about that. Uh, but uh, she's 19, and so she doesn't like it when I tell her that she's a pre-adult. 18, I'm an adult. You're a pre-adult. You can't even rent a car yet. And I try and tell her that while she has many adult privileges, responsibilities, and rights, there, there are many things that she is still learning. And learning about what it means to be an adult often comes this way, right? She didn't do anything wrong, but just fender bender. What do I do now? I got to call, got to file an insurance claim. This is what grows you up. Am I right? And as an earthly father, I know the value of walking her through things like this. Well, our Heavenly Father knows that that's going to be lifetime. He's going to walk us through fender bender after fender bender, and sometimes a total wreck, sometimes a total loss. He's going to do that. He walked you through many troubles, many troubles and calamities, but his deeds are beyond number. God won't solve all of your problems on earth, but he will move mountains on your way to heaven. Jot this down. He will help you, and he will use you. He's not finished. The psalmist knows it. He will show up. He will help you. He will use you. He will not forget you. He will not forsake you. And that should give you a desire to share this with other people. Whether you're young or old, or may other people know about the greatness of God because of what God has done for me. He, use me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Because I want other people, the next generation, to know God is great and He's done wonderful things. That's the heart of a person of faith. Do you have that desire to impact the next generation by finishing well, by making it through this trial, by telling your kids that God is good before you know the ending to the story? Hey, God has done amazing things that are beyond number. He's going to help me. Let's cry out to him. Focus on honoring God, passing the baton. And I love what verse 19 said. You have done great things, O God, who is like you. Hey, in that spirit, whatever you're going through right now, pray to God. Trust Him to be faithful. He was faithful when you were born, when you were young. He will be faithful when you are old. So ask Him to help you. Let's pray.
Thank you, Father, for your promise of protection and provision our entire lives. Thank you that the Bible covers the full scope of our life, that your providential hand was upon us from birth, before birth. You gave us life. You decide when it's time to go on to eternal life. So Lord, wherever we are right now on our journey, I pray that you would meet us there. And I just pray for people who are struggling, whatever it is that's making them feel afraid or unsettled. I just pray that you would meet them there. I pray that they would see their greatest need, as we learn in communion, is for salvation, for Jesus Christ to come down and to save their soul. If they've never asked Jesus to save them, I pray that they would do that today, praying, Father, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, save me. The very first rescue we need is the rescue from sin and death, and may they cry out for that today. But Lord, there are many calamities and hardships that you will allow us to face. Help us, Lord, to not be shy we have not because we ask not. May we give you no rest until you establish us. And I just pray that people would cry out right now in their own hearts and just say, help. Help, Father. May they not be ashamed of asking. May they not doubt who you are or what you've done. And I pray that they would tell the next generation all of the glorious things that you have done for them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.